This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Cause we're gonna be Melbourne, what is up? What is up? Fuck, I've been flying for two days. But I'm here, and I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for the warm welcome. Um, So there's a lot of places I want to go with today's uh, talk, and so let's just get right into it. I think, for me, what I really want to accomplish in this talk today is set up a framework of strategy of how much abundance and opportunity there is right now and why, and then number two, really get into the tactics that I think a lot of people here can take and take whatever they're trying to achieve to the next place. I think the thing that, as I, you know, I I was getting ready for this trip and I was really looking at a lot of the things on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and other things of that nature that have become such an important part of the way I think about the world, but more importantly, before we go into that, What I was doing over the last month as this kind of conference was coming together was, are you really wearing a Patriots fucking shirt? (laughs) Jesus. Just completely took my energy to a different place. Punched that dude in the face. Um, um, As I was getting ready for this talk, what I was really looking at were people that were making references to it and then kind of going down the rabbit hole, especially on the flight out here after I caught up with all my work and still had 20 hours of flying, as people were referencing this conference, I was able to kind of go into their accounts and take a look at what they were doing, how they were doing it, and what's become really remarkably interesting to me over the last you know, half decade, and especially over the last couple years, is how many people hear me understand or consume a lot of the content but are unable because of patience, I guess, or many other reasons how many people's actions don't map. I mean, literally the amount of people that I'll post something about something, they'll jump in and be like, yeah, Gary Vee, you're right, and then I click their account and they're literally doing the complete opposite. In that hypocrisy, in that misunderstanding, in that white space is really the thing that matters to me. I think. The first thing that everybody needs to really wrap their head around and understand about this era is how much attention is really being put here and how much, if you're not winning on this device, how much vulnerability you have. Number two, really understanding that we talk a lot about content, but nobody here, including me, with a humongous team, and this is super important, this is really what I wanted to start this talk with because I think it will help people. Me, with a team of 20, putting out between 80 and 100 pieces of original content a day, am grossly underperforming in the amount of content I put out every day. Like, to really set the tone for everybody, the volume, the sheer volume of content needed for every individual or business in this room to be successful in a 2019 environment is staggering and nobody's really making the financial or mental or emotional investment into that level of content. The amount of people that are super fine with putting out one or two pieces or three pieces a day on one platform are just leaving an enormous amount of opportunity on the table. And so for me, if there's anything that I can get through today, and there'll be plenty of things I'll try to get through, but the sheer 
amount of content needed to take full advantage of this land grab is staggering. And so that comes in a lot of forms. For me, the reason I'm so obsessed with people focusing on video is because the reality is is that video creates a scenario that allows you to do images and written word and audio on the back of filming. For me, the reason I do a vlog daily is because we're able to use that as a top of the funnel piece of content and then I'm able to produce a podcast, I'm able to produce the quote pictures you see on Instagram, the written articles on my dot com and LinkedIn. It is the top of the funnel that creates everything else instead of bottom up. It's unbelievably important. If you're fortunate enough to be here and you feel okay to be in front of the camera, you need to lean in. You need to absolutely lean in. I think there's a lot of people, and by the way, I'm a big believer that you have to bet on your strengths and be self-aware. I think there's a lot of people here who wish they were something and the reality is forcing that is their vulnerability. If you're not comfortable being in front of the camera for whatever millions of reasons or whatever insecurity, that's super fine and you should lean into audio on your phone or if you're a great writer, you need to figure out how you communicate. But let, let there be no confusion here today. If you are not producing content for the internet, you are basically non-existent in our society. If you have, you know, regardless of how good your B2B business is doing or how great your real estate firm is or financial service, like Sears was winning too at one point. Like regardless of how well you're doing, you are vulnerable right this minute because all of the attention on a daily basis continues to funnel here. And whatever excuse you come up with, which is my audience is not on there or my industry isn't affected, all those things become your great vulnerability. I recently, just a couple weeks ago, completely changed the strategic and creative foundation of where VaynerMedia, my company's going. And a lot of people in my inner circle pushed against it because they're like, we're doing well. And I reminded them, I'm like, look, I'm desperate to put us out of business before somebody else does it for us. How many people here are having their best financial year personally or in their business? Raise your hands. Let's clap it up for them. One more time, raise them high. No reason to be embarrassed about that. Keep it up. To me, the people with their hands up in that scenario are the ones that I'm most worried about because when it's going well is oftentimes when people become complacent or they don't think the thing matters for them. And so, for me, those are the things that really, really stand out. I think the other thing to really pay attention to is attention itself. For me, attention has been the thing, I bless you, that I've chased my whole career. You know, when I was selling lemonade, I would look at polls and, did you just get naked, bro? Shit's getting crazy here in Melbourne. <laughs> this rose fucked up, the Patriot fan, the naked dude. <laughs> Hope they paid extra. <laughs> look over, dude's like fucking naked. Um, <laughs> attention has been something that I've been chasing my whole career. Selling lemonade against, you know, really was interesting to me. It took me about four or five years ago when I finally realized that it wasn't, I wasn't setting up the tables or making the lemonade. I was really spending all my time looking at the cars and trying to figure out where to put the posters and the signs to get people's attention. I did that in baseball cards and I did it in wine and I've done it 
pretty much my entire career and I think the thing that a lot of people need to focus on is where is the attention. So for example, 24 months ago, I would not stand up here and push LinkedIn very heavily. You know, the platform was pretty much, for anybody that understands LinkedIn or has been around it, it was really something where people put up their you know, resumes, it was something that people really spammed each other on, right? LinkedIn became a shitty place for all of us because all it was was people emailing in bulk with no context. And then about three years ago, four years ago, they made it more of a content play and you started seeing a little bit more and they had some influence on it and I was on it and it was fine. But over the last 18 to 24 months, it's been remarkable how much opportunity there is on LinkedIn. And if you're in this audience and you're doing B2B marketing and you do not have a LinkedIn content strategy, you're making a humongous mistake because when you layer on top of it ads that allow you to target the titles of the occupations that you're trying to reach. How many people here are in B2B? Raise your hands. I mean, it's an enormous percentage of this audience and I continue to watch B2B companies not create original content for LinkedIn and when they do, they're much more in a commercial or you know, sales-oriented way, not in a branding and create content way. I always tell people, if you make content on the internet as if you're the TV show, not the commercials in between the TV show, you will get disproportionate return on your investment. The problem is, is most people are looking for instant gratification and return on their investment. The amount of people here who've run $1,000 in ads on something, it didn't work, and they deemed it as it doesn't work, is staggering to me. I have spent millions of dollars on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Google that haven't worked, I've also spent millions of dollars on those platforms that have worked. The execution of the creative is the variable in that environment. Just because you ran $1,000 or $10,000 in Facebook ads and it didn't work, it might be the picture or video that you put in front of people sucked and didn't compel them to buy anything. The attention's underpriced, there is no doubt. The attention's massively underpriced. I built my family's wine business on underpriced attention on email and Google AdWords. Those were the early 2000s. I know what it looks like. It's exactly what's happening right now with Facebook and Instagram and influencers. They're just underpriced. Pre-roll podcast, underpriced. There is no debate that the attention is underpriced. There's a reason that Wish, the shopping app, does $6 billion in revenue on the back of 98% Facebook ads. It's underpriced. But are you capable to create contextual creative at scale? That's the question. Can you produce 97 pieces of content for 97 different demographics and psychographics and then run ads against them to compel them to buy your things. If I'm selling sneakers, which I do, there's gonna be a fundamental difference of the video or picture I'm gonna put in front of somebody who's 18 white male in New York City versus a 47-year-old Latino woman with two kids in Texas. The problem is, when auditing the 30 accounts that I looked at here and the hundreds of thousands I do a year, 99% of people make one to five pieces of content and run their ads and expect something to happen. It is fundamentally not contextual to the audience that they're trying to reach. Very simply put, everybody, everybody's running creative ads, media, 
marketing right now as if it was 1997 and the only options you had was the newspaper, the billboard, the radio, and the television. Meanwhile, we have Facebook and Instagram and influencers that allow us to go way more long tail. The problem is people haven't put in the time and effort to create the content that's contextual to the psychographics and demographics. So, and I'm going very fucking nerdy because I'm fucking fired up right now on this. I think that every person in here, regardless of what they're trying to do, whether they're trying to run for mayor, raise money for a charity, or sell their services, needs to have at least 13 to 30 core audiences that they produce content for every time. So literally every time you have something new going on, you have to create 30 variations where the copy, I mean, you could target people who are divorced. You can target people who have two, two, two kids. You can target fuckers who like the Patriots. You can do so much. <laughs> you can do so much with this medium, yet people are mailing it in. Meanwhile, they're also having ludicrous. There are ludicrous conversations going on, like people having ego around how well they do organically on these platforms when the ads are massively underpriced. Do you know how many people emailed me crying that Facebook's organic reach declined three years ago as if Facebook screwed them while Facebook is literally free to use? Do you know how many people here are starting to get concerned that they're not getting as many likes and views on their Instagram account because they can feel something's happening, yet it's free? I really need to like drill this home. People are mad at the algorithm on Instagram. They run ads everywhere else. They buy a booth at a conference. They run print, direct mail, costs money. You start an Instagram account, if you don't run ads, you can organically build an audience and you post. Now you're mad that you're not reaching as many people and you've got this big conspiracy anger at the algorithm, yet you haven't paid a fucking dime for the platform. <laughs> that guy drank that beer quick. <laughs> it's a very intriguing thing for me that people have emotional opinions about something they haven't paid for. And so here's the game and it will always be the game. Things come along, they're underpriced. Real estate, stocks, attention. When they're underpriced, you need to strike and squeeze as much as you can out of them. I will come back to Melbourne in six years and spend my entire talk trying to get people to stop running ads on Facebook and Instagram. That will happen. It's always happened to me. It's the same old game. You take advantage when it's underpriced and you squeeze it as long as you can you ride it all the way through and eventually the long tail catches up and it becomes overpriced because big companies come in and it becomes overpriced because of the bidding and normal people stop paying attention as much. Everybody here who's been on Facebook for five plus years pays attention to every piece of content on Facebook a little less than they did five years ago or maybe a lot less. That is just the natural cadence of what we do. How many people here had email in the late 90s? Raise your hands, old fuckers. So all the people that just raised their hands, what they can tell everybody here under 30 is what we used to do with email 
in the 90s, which was we read every single email. Wine Library's email service in 1999 was almost 90% open rates. How many people here have done email marketing in their career? Raise your hands. 90% open rates. It's ridiculous. It's like 32 now and I think we feel like we're heroes. So that will happen with these platforms. So look, before I get into the mindset and the strategy and some of the social things I'm seeing going on, I'll go back into the details, but the details are very simple. And I said it when I was here last year and I'm gonna say it again. If you are not a practitioner yet of making content and running ads on Facebook and Instagram, you will massively regret it. And the reason, you've seen me say it in every video, I am putting it down on film to recall it in a decade. I will never stop saying it. I don't care how much you're tired of hearing it and hoping for something new. I'm not gonna make up something that isn't true. They are grossly underpriced. The one little add-on that I've been saying a lot more over the last month or so than in the past is how much content you need to produce. And the reason one of the breakthrough videos I've ever made called Document Don't Create worked is it's hard to create a new video. That's creative, that's hard. But if you actually film your day to day, your meetings, your mundane, there's absolute action in that and so I'd highly recommend really understanding what that means. Let's take a step back and let's talk about something I've been spending a lot of time on which is in a world where I'm asking you to create so much content, the fact that so many of you do not create content because you're so bent out of shape by the feedback in the comments section. This has become a remarkable fascination of mine that people literally aren't living their lives to their happiness or fullest because Sally Pants 36 said that you're ugly or fat. People absolutely crippled by the judgment of others without really understanding what it is. Let me say it here right now so there's no confusion. If a human being takes the time out of their day to consume your piece of content, consume it, and then spend time to leave a negative comment to you after consuming your content, think about how shitty that person's life is. Somebody literally has the time to consume your content and try to drag you down. My friends, misery loves company is one of the most interesting sayings that has been in culture for a long time. It most manifests in a very poor way when I watch parents drag their kids into shit because they're upset. But it's one thing and I have empathy, a lot of it, when it's your mom and dad dragging you through shit because that's deep but when an anonymous person with a fucking icon of a rugby player is dragging you through shit, you have to get into a place where that does not bother you. It makes zero sense. I mean, literally, and I get shit on all the time, you get that many comments, you get shit on. When I see it, it's the only, I mean, I don't feel bad for me, I genuinely feel bad for them. I'm fascinated, I've never in my life taken the time to consume somebody's content and then shit on them. It makes absolutely no sense. So please, if you're one of these individuals and there are a lot of you in this audience that are not producing content because you're worried about the judgment, you know how many people email me, Gary, but I have to put on makeup, why? Because your grandma told you when you were seven? 
But Gary, the lighting, why? You don't like the bags under your eyes? Good news, everybody has bags under their eyes. Like, there is an enormous amount of insecurity in the system that is stopping people from creating the thing that they want and it needs to be talked about in a much bigger way. The judgment of others is a fascinating thing. How many people, by show of hands, work in a job and are desperate for their side hustle to become their career? Just raise your hands. Raise them high. Can you stand up, actually? I need to see this, because I gotta get a sense. Stand up if this is your MO. Your side hustle, you're desperate for that to become your career. Good amount. Okay, thank you for doing that. So I'll go into this. So this has become a new thing that I've been spending a ton of time on. Something I've realized that really kind of caught me off guard is how many people spend more money on shit than they can afford. And I know that's like a funny thing to say, but it's actually very basic. I'm actually talking about the amount of people that have emailed me in the last six months because I've been on this rant lately of trying to get people to move back in with their parents at 30 and 40. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm hot on this. It's because there's this incredible thing. How many people here own their home? Raise your hands. The people that just raised their hands, 90% of people that own their homes don't use more than 50% of their home. They have three extra bedrooms that they don't need. They have a living and dining room and a fucking den and all sorts of shit. The amount of people who live in homes that they've extended themselves financially to afford that don't use Half of that home is fascinating. The amount of people who are in debt so they can drive a car that has a logo on it that makes them feel better because that's keeping up with the Joneses or other people's judgment is fascinating to me. What I didn't realize was the fact that 30 fucking 5% of this audience wants their side hustle to be their careers, but the reason they can't is because they can't quit their job because they need their job to pay for dumb shit to impress people they fucking hate. And so, especially while the economy globally is frothy, I am aggressively throwing up for debate to the third of this audience that is trying to get their side hustle to be their job for them to give a real thought to what it would look like if they were to downsize their home and their car and their vacations and their watch to put themselves in a position to be happy. I think over the next decade, as we continue to start really discovering as a human race, mental health and happiness, that we are on the pre-dawns of people changing what success looks like. When I really look at the world and I've, I grew up super humbly, I've spent my 10 years ago career in the, in the explosion of Silicon Valley, I've really been lucky to see all sorts of different things going on. It is super cliche but absolutely true that the money happiness thing is just a funny thing. People that don't have it think it does bring happiness. People that have it know it's not true. And when you really look at suicide data and things, depression data, it's fascinating who struggles with it. I really do believe as we become dramatically more thoughtful about happiness versus money, 
that a lot of people are gonna start really looking at the things they amass and how much that is a choker to their happiness and so what really excites me right now is how frothy the economy is globally and I know so many of you can take advantage of selling high, positioning yourself to be happy. I think it's a very rogue point of view. It's completely against the propaganda that you see in your Instagram and Facebook feed 24-7. Everybody's pushing all sorts of fancy stuff and fancy trips and fancy things. I genuinely believe that the majority of people here can dramatically, dramatically put themselves in a happier place if they honestly consider downsizing things that they don't use. So just a random thought that I'm super passionate about. Let me talk to you guys about influencer marketing. For me, I talked earlier about underpriced attention and overpriced attention. The way you get those things is when the market doesn't understand itself. When people don't understand how underpriced Facebook is, they don't put money into it, thus the prices stay down. The most inefficient and misunderstood marketplace, in my opinion, is influencer marketing. Humans don't know how to price themselves. There are pretty people that have 400,000 followers on Instagram that want $30,000 a post. And there are other people with 5,000 followers who want 40 bucks. There are 400,000 person follower people that want 100 bucks. There are people with 500 followers that want $5,000. The inefficiency in influencer marketing is staggering. How many people here, by show of hands, and you guys have been pretty bullshitty with your hands, I don't know what's scaring you, but go high. How many people here sell an actual product, physical? Raise your hands. A lot. Every single person, one more time, hands in the air, all of you, all of you that have your hands in the air should have a significant influencer, thank you, influencer marketing strategy. Literally DMing people on Instagram and asking them how much they would charge you to take a picture holding your physical product and tagging your page. It is massively inefficient, which is, I love when people are like, Gary, how do you scale it? by DMing more people, fuck face. (laughs) It's just, there's no machine or algorithm, just get nice and cozy and DM people and ask them one by one if they're willing to do it. I often find that the biggest upsides often is scaling things that are not scalable. Scaling things that are not scalable comes from sheer effort and time. And so if, one more time, I just want to get the physical, selling a product physically. If, if I was your partner, buddy with the hat, selling physical, I would spend 30 to 50% of my overall marketing budget on influencer marketing. It's so inefficient. And if you're lucky enough that your product you sell directly on your Shopify or Amazon, like you can see it, you don't even have to guess. You literally run either codes or just isolated time slots for certain influencers and you can see what the return on the investment is. There's been many influencers that we bought that we weren't sure and then we bought 50 times over because their audience was converting because they had an authentic audience. I, I couldn't be more passionate about it and it is wildly underpriced in this market down here. It's, it's underpriced everywhere but we've even debated opening a VaynerMedia office in Australia just on the back, just on the back of really influencer marketing because it's so underserved in the marketplace and I highly recommend 
you take a deep look at it. Another thing that is unbelievably underpriced in this market and globally is keyword and adword Google searches and then retargeted on YouTube pre-roll video. So, imagine a scenario where people search on Google for curtains or a financial advisor and how many people here have done Google advertising for their, in their careers? Raise your hands. Perfect. So a lot of you know it was an incredibly powerful platform because it was intent-based. If they were searching for it, that means they were interested in it and it would convert. And a lot of you did extremely well with it because it converted highly. Much easier to be good at Google at first than Facebook at first. Facebook is branding, Google is selling. Very different game. Selling is a hell of a lot easier in the short term, which is why people like it. Branding and marketing takes time, which is why people bail on it. The problem is Nike and Adidas and Coca-Cola, that's branding. Our bullshit businesses is selling, you understand? But there is a combination of selling and branding that is super powerful and it plays out on Facebook but it also plays out on YouTube. YouTube, for everybody that doesn't know, is the second biggest search engine in the world. For people like me that can't read for shit, when you wanna go on YouTube and hear it or watch it visually, you understand it, it's incredibly powerful. But besides that, what's unbelievable is there is a way for you to actually target people that search on Google for something. They Let's use my old world. They search for Margaret River Cabernet on Google to buy. Three days later, they go on YouTube to watch a video of how to hang a picture on their wall and the pre-roll YouTube video goes, hey, are you in the market for Margaret River Cabernet? And then you're like, holy fuck, they're spying on me. Because you fuckers forget that you searched for it three days ago on Google. For me, when I thought about this talk and coming here today, I said to myself, look, there's three or four things that are just black and white tactics that if I get people to actually do, they will feel benefits. It's funny how I think about marketing no different than fitness. People are always, always far more interested in finding some rare fucking fruit deep in the Amazon that they can eat that makes them lose fat than actually fucking working out and eating healthy, dick. Like you're far more excited to buy some fucking pill that was found in Saturn and brought back than you are to do the very basics. It's super stunning. Eat healthy and work out every day. It's super basic but nobody wants to actually put in the work. I've literally spent the last 30 minutes giving you three to four basic things that are real as fuck. 99% of you, even though all of you wrote little notes, are not gonna do shit about it. You're gonna write it down, you're gonna say, yeah, this is, you know what, I've heard him say it a bunch, this is the time, I'm definitely gonna go back and do that. And then next Thursday happens, and something good or bad happens in your business and you completely put this talk on the shelf. Let me be very clear with you. In October of 2018, in Australia, if you run Facebook and Instagram ads against 30 to 50 different pictures and videos against whatever you're trying to accomplish in your business, it will work. Let me make it perfectly clear for you. In October 2018, if you spend five hours a day 
going to direct messaging influencers that could possibly sell your product and getting a third of them, 8% of them, to agree to post a picture holding up your product and tagging your product, it will work. Let me make it perfectly clear for you in October of 2018, if you run pre-roll YouTube video against search query on Google of whatever you're trying to do in this room, it will work. Now I just need to ask you why you're not doing it because if you've come to this conference to see me speak, you've heard this shit 40 fucking thousand times. I can't wrap my head around it. I can because I watch it every day. It's human behavior, I see it. But the reason I get passionate to keep doing this is I've learned sometimes it just takes that 19th time and you actually sitting in the audience to do it. Bless you. What really, really shocks me though, and what really excites me as being in the, like this is my spiel in America, the most advanced competitive market for all of my concepts. The fact that everything I just told you is disproportionately even more exciting here, the reason we opened up a London office for Vayner, the reason we're opening up Singapore next February, the reason I keep going global is, it's like going into a fucking time machine. Like it's, working better here, it's cheaper here. Because the bigger companies here are even slower than the big companies in America. So the big money's not in. You need to take advantage of this. You are going to regret it. You're gonna regret it. And let me tell you this, this is a good segue. An incredible, random fucking thing that I can tell you to do is to go volunteer at a retirement home one day this year. A very random thing that can fundamentally change your life business-wise, let me just not even go human, in your business, is go and volunteer in a retirement home once for five hours. Let me give you the preview for the 99.9% of you that won't do that. You will see human beings with regret in their eye. And I promise you, for whatever scary shit you've seen, abuse, murder, scariest shit you've ever seen, there's nothing scarier than to stare a human being in the face who understands she or he fucked up and there's no going back. Regret. There's macro and micro regret. Macro regrets of who you married, what you didn't do, da 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 da. And there's micro regrets. And in the context of this talk, the micro regret in a business world is you're sitting on a golden goose. It will take you five to seven hours to Google it to figure out how to run a Facebook ad. And please, Melbourne, please do me a huge favor. Do not hire your 22-year-old niece and think she's gonna know how to do it. Just because she grew up with this shit and you didn't. I love when people, Gary, but you know, I didn't grow up with this shit. Neither did I, dick. I'm 42, I didn't grow up with this. And let me tell you something else. You didn't grow up driving and you figured that out. This is something you have to learn. You wanna have a business? You want your side hustle? Like, I love when people, like, do, do people understand how hard it is to live your life for yourself on your terms and make money? Have, have we had the right conversations yet about this? To live as your own boss and make enough money to have a good life as a, that's a 1% thing in our society and everybody has this level of entitlement and especially now, trust me, I'm feeling it. I'm the beneficiary of it. But now that we've made entrepreneurs cool, the whole thing's totally fucked. Everybody thinks entrepreneurship's so easy. This shit is super hard. 
it's super hard to be good enough to make that kind of money. Because even though the internet's here and everybody in this room has the chance to do it, the problem is the internet's here and everybody here has a chance to do it and supply and demand takes over. I love people who are like, Gary, but my content, it's not doing well, but it's because people don't get it. I'm too ahead of the curve. No, you're not, Ron. You just suck. (laughs) You're not ahead of shit. The market is the market is the market. You have 39 views on your YouTube, it means you suck. It means it's not interesting. Or it means that you're early. So many people are like, Gary, I'm lost. You're not lost, you're 27. You've just started. This is a long game and the opportunity is substantial. But there are two very important things. The world, my friends, let me, let me break it down very simple for you. The world plays in the middle and all the action is in the edges. The world plays in the middle. It's what school does to us. It makes you in the middle. All the opportunities in the extreme of micro and macro. You have to, like I always talk about macro slow, micro fast, right? Micro speed. I work 17 hours a day. I'm booked every minute. Micro, speed. Yet, I'm in year nine of building VaynerMedia in the prime of my career, not making that much money as much as I could to build a machine for me for the next 30 years in the macro slow. All of the action is in the edges. Having ridiculous blind confidence, equally having the humility to know that you don't mean shit. Going all in and having the ability to completely pivot if you know it's wrong. There's such a fine line between perseverance and delusion. It's such a fascinating thing for me to watch. And so my friends, I promise you, there is so much abundance. I hate watching people get upset when other people win without realizing how much abundance in the system. Nobody on earth's success is coming at your expense. Everybody thinks this is a binary game. It's just not. There's so much abundance. And so we in general, in the macro, have to desperately get our mindsets right. We are collectively, stunningly not patient enough. Everybody wants it tomorrow. We are unbelievably lacking perspective. The dumb shit that I hear people complaining about every day is stunning. You know, we, everybody here needs to start joining more nonprofits and getting in the field. You go join a nonprofit like Charity Water and you go to Africa and you watch people walk seven and a half miles every day for fresh water, you start struggling to complain to the barista because he or she put the wrong milk in your fucking coffee. We need perspective, we need passion, we need patience, we need a lot of things and then you have to let it play out. Everything I've ever done, two core things have always been the theme and for anybody who's dreaming or thinking differently, I really need you to hear this. The everything I've ever done professionally, two things have happened. One, it's taken forever for it to manifest because I was early. Number two, nobody agreed with me and people snickered and made fun of me every time I did them. If you're looking to innovate and do something special, 
you have to recognize exactly what's going to happen, which is the voices, the voices are going to be the game that you have to play out. The one that's become most fascinating to me over the last year because I get so much interaction on this is the people, and I'm just gonna say, this is completely just random, but I'm hopeful it might help just one person in this audience. If the voice in your own head says to you that you suck, I desperately need you to know that somebody put that voice in your head. If the voice in your head tells you to yourself that you suck, somebody put it in there. And you have to understand that. Usually you're fucked up mom. (laughs) But you have to wrap your head around that. Because it's really difficult for me to watch so many people not act based on that own voice. The biggest thing that people aren't acting on is they're not taking risk because they're scared to lose and they're scared to then have people judge them on that loss. It is remarkable to me how easy it is for me to see a true-bred entrepreneur versus one that's not. A true-bred entrepreneur loves to lose. It is scary to me how much I love losing, publicly. Love my investment. I love talking about passing on Uber twice. Love it. I love when people literally leave comments like, don't listen to this guy, he passed on Uber twice. And then I look at their account, they have nine followers and they fucking suck shit. And I'm like, yo bro, <laughs> but I didn't pass on Facebook and Venmo and Twitter, what, what are you doing? You're fucking playing Fortnite and jerking off 24 <laughs> seven. Anyway, um, I'm obsessed with losing because something that I really want people to wrap their head around is when you lose, it's your loss. We have so much judgment out there and we lack context. I laugh when people tell people how to raise their children. You're not in that person's home. I laugh when people talk about other people's relationships. You're not behind that closed door. I laugh when people give advice on how to run a business. You're not in it. If you notice, the the biggest reason I stay very macro and just give details of what you can do is there's so much judgment being thrown out there to everybody and nobody knows shit. Everybody's running around with judgment. Nobody knows shit about what's actually happening. Judgment is poison, my friends. And this world right now, because of social media specifically, because you can see all the judgment. I love when people think social media changed us. My friends, social media exposed us. Nobody's changed. You used to be a dick too. You just said it to yourself and to three other people in your neighborhood. Now you can say it to everybody publicly online. It's like money and fame, it doesn't change you, it exposes who you actually are. And so we're living in a very transcendent world. And so you're either gonna look at the negatives or the shortcomings, or you're gonna look at the positives. For me, I see all positives. I love that we're going through all this shit globally with ourselves, because we needed to be exposed of our weaknesses. One step backwards, two steps forward. That same machine, do you know how many people say to me, Gary, I don't think Facebook and Instagram, that stuff doesn't work, yet in the other mouth, during that same dinner, all they talk about is how social media is fucking up the government or countries or the world. Literally, you're telling me that Facebook's powerful enough to change the global world and governments, but it's not powerful enough to sell some of your t-shirts or your landscaping business services? My friends, take it for what it is. 
we are all obnoxiously fortunate to be living through this era right now. What this era is, just to quantify it, is we are now at the maturity of the internet. The internet now is at scale. We all live there. It is real. It's not what I grew up with, which it was coming. It is here. It is at scale. And the reality of the situation is, how many people one more time with side hustles? Raise your hands. Everyone, stand up again. Side hustle to turn into your business. I need this because this is the point. Side hustle to turn into your business. I just need every single person that's standing to understand one thing. Your grandparents couldn't even dream to turn a side hustle into their business because the internet didn't fucking exist. They just had to eat shit and live their life and put food on a table and a roof over their head and then fucking die. I'm being serious. We are so outlandishly fortunate to have this era and what everybody's doing is spending all their time deploying cynicism and looking at the things that are negative about it without realizing it is the full empowerment to whatever you want if you're willing to be a practitioner and actually learn this shit and execute it. This era will go away. Many of you follow me know I'm all focused on voice and Alexa and all this. It's all gonna happen. Shit changes. Whether it's blockchain or AR or VR or voice, this internet era, this golden era as we stand here today will go away. And then, for the same reason that I didn't make any fucking videos for five years because I had nothing to say, there won't be a great deal like influencers and Instagram and Facebook. And you will deploy regret because you've heard me pound it down your throat and you did nothing about it. So please, Melbourne, do me a fucking favor on my 37 fucking hour flight to get here. Please make this event, this talk, the time that you actually go home and start fucking executing. Because I'll be very honest with you, I'm fucking tired of the thousand, one thousand emails every week that I get that are the same exact thing, titled. I don't know why it took me four and a half years of listening to the same shit to finally do it, but I'm really glad I did because in the last seven months I made $80,000 and before I used to be $40,000 in debt. Please make tonight the beginning of the next chapter of your life because when it goes away, I'm gonna get quiet and execute and you're gonna wish, you're gonna wish you did something about it tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Give him a hand, Melbourne. Thank you. Come on, Melbourne, give him a hand. Thank you. Thank you so much. Let's do Q&A. Not done yet. We're not done yet. We had a... Uh, did you guys learn something? Yeah, very good. Turn to the person next to you. Give him a high five. So I'm glad he came. Stop, stop giving high fives and go fucking run some ads. <laughs> they didn't learn, let me tell you something. They didn't learn shit. If they follow me, they know. This is not about learning. I've pounded this for fucking two years. This is about doing. This is fucking exercise. You know what to do. You still eat cupcakes, fat ass. <laughs> <laughs> Got it? That's what's going on here. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Seriously though, like, I'm gonna, 
by the way, just give you a preview, I'm a nice guy now, or if you think cursing's mean, but I'm a nice guy if you look under, I'm gonna be very mean in four years. When everyone's crying about this, I'm gonna be jumping in and be like, you fucking ass, I told you. I'm gonna be razzing the fuck out of people. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Question number one, this came from people that are in the audience here today, so these questions are from you all. First question is from Henry Vila. Question about gratitude. What do you do when someone gives you an opportunity and you know you will never be able to pay it back? You know, Henry, you gotta take that as a gift, right? And the reality is you don't know that you'll never be able to you know, give it back. Like, this is what I always talk about, like how dangerous envy is and not having context. Like, I always tell people, like, pe- like the amount of people that throw lucky or other things at me, they're like, I'm like, look, sure, but what about tomorrow? if my daughter gets hit by a bus and dies, am I then lucky? And I know, it's a, I know that's, but that's how I think. Like for Henry, like you don't think you can give that person anything back today, that's just not how life works. Like you might be able to. So A, accept the gift and be grateful. Try to help other people in ways you can, but if you're so fixated on helping the person that put you on, recognize that life ebbs and flows. Who's winning today loses tomorrow and vice versa. It's a fucking marathon. And everybody's just judging today without understanding tomorrow. I spend all my time anticipating tomorrow. That's the rant that I just gave for 45 minutes. So that's how I think about it. Yeah, very good. Next question. What is your number one tip for growing a wealth and investment advisory firm in the digital age where access to information is so easy? How do you get to be number one? I mean, number one comes in all shapes and sizes. So. I mean, to me, it's just the process of aspiring to be great. I think it's about, for me, where, where the information's free, it becomes, a, especially in wealth investment, things of that nature, it becomes a personal brand world. Like, people buy from people. Like, that's just the way it's always been. And so the more, and by the way, the biggest reason so many people lose in legal or wealth or things of that nature is they front, right? They play a character on social media, not who they actually are, right? And so like, as you can imagine, in 2008-9, I missed out on 90% of my speaking engagements because I cursed. It was less acceptable than it is today. I still do, but I didn't know how not to be me, and that was just the way it was gonna be. I think a lot of people try to be the person in their LinkedIn profile, even though they hate wearing a fucking tie. And I think the more you can be yourself and just like talk about the things you're actually into, there's more people that would get business in this country talking about footy than talking about the actual skill set they have in managing someone's money. It's a personal game. I think you said, uh, inside of there, if I just ask you a question, you said something, you said the process of aspiring to be great. I mean, I think it's so, so powerful. Where, where does that come from for you, the process of aspiring to be great? I, I just love my game. I love my game. Like, I don't want to win because I want to keep playing. Like I never wanted to end, right? Like once you find what you love to do, like you've won. Mm. And so for me, I'm trying to get better at it all the time, but it's, I'm not fixated on being number one or having the most money or revenue. I'm just in my own little insular circle, just enjoying it and trying to get better at it and letting the chips fall. I mean, it's incredible how little I know about anybody else that does anything that I do. I've, I've never watched anybody give a talk in my life. I've never, I've never read a business book in my life. I've never listened to a complete podcast of anybody's podcast. I'm sure they're great, 
I'm sure you enjoy it. I love that. I watch sports. It's, I'm not saying you shouldn't. It's just not my process because it doesn't matter. The only thing I care about is the audience. The only thing I care mm. about is the audience. And so that's why I read all my comments. That's why I have insights on this. This is why I, I got into places like empathy or judgment. Like once you understand that somebody knows everything that they should be doing, you have to ask why they're not doing it. You start getting into mommy and daddy issues. You start getting into insecurities. You start getting into a lot of people here not building personal brands because they have skeletons in their closet and once they get public, they don't want to deal with the ramifications. There's real shit out here. I always enjoy the skeleton in this closet. People get really weird the fuck out. People's faces get funny. <laughs> Next question comes from Veronica. How do you get in with the right people? For example, if you want to get in with the people who choose the light bulbs, for the next multi-billion yep. dollar hotel. Veronica, you have to reverse engineer people. It's really easy. You know who the decision makers are by title. Follow them on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and see what they care about. And if they're into things that I've talked about already, footy or Margaret River Cabernet, that is your gateway. There's a reason people played golf or have steak dinners. They get to know people, they get to know their spouses, they get to know things that make them tick, and then they, exploit them if you want to go cynical with it or they just use them to do business. But Sarah, who makes that decision, is the person that you need to reverse engineer. And so in what, one of my favorite things about social media today in a B2B environment is following the people that you want to do business with and figuring out what they love. And then if, to me, I think manipulation's scary. So for me, I'll never, when I know something about somebody, make pretend I like it too. I'll look for the things that I have a common interest in and I'll lean in there or I'll have a teammate that has a common interest or I'll just reference that interest just showing respect that I understand what's going on. I think too many people fake, people try to do that to me all the time. They're like, Gary Vee, yo, the Jets, right? I'm a big Jets fan. I'm like, name the offensive line. They're like, oh fuck, I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> so I think, I think you have to be careful to fake it for the sake of business, which is why I always bet on authenticity. And so, but you can reverse engineer that person. Yeah, very good. Next question comes from Charmaine. What's the best way to support teenage kids who have an entrepreneurial mind and limited assets? Well, limited assets is the best fucking thing for any entrepreneur. I mean, I don't know how people haven't realized it. Here's the secret. Adversity is the foundation of success. I mean, like, the, you know, the this would scare me a lot more if they had an entrepreneurial mind and had tons of assets. Entitlement and too much abundance creates zoo animals. And so, I mean, that one's great. Like, to me, take more away from them. I mean it. Yeah. Like, and definitely don't dwell on things. Like, to me, I think the thing that my mom did really well was she saw that I was entrepreneurial and she doubled down on it. And she punished me for bad grades, but she didn't make me feel like that was the most important thing in the world. And so I think finding a balance of raising a child with entrepreneurial you know, aspirations, finding a cadence between them respecting things but also leaning in on their strengths. Mm. But it's interesting that the person put limited means. It means that they're feeling some insecurity that they can't give their kid a $10,000 boost. That's the best thing that happens. Like, put a kid out there that has to learn how to eat for themselves. The best thing that ever happened to me mm. was when I rolled up on my mom in fifth grade and was like, mom, everyone's getting Nintendo, I want Nintendo. She looked me dead in the face with her Russian accent. She said, go buy it. 
So then I fucking <laughs> shoveled snow and fucking raked leaves and washed cars and sold lemonade and from a very young age, I learned how to make money for myself. Uh, I, I genuinely think entitlement is poison. Abundance is poison for entrepreneurs. I genuinely think restrictions, limits, and lack of resources are the foundation of the best entrepreneurs. Yeah, very good. Next question comes from Chris. He says, how can I take my indie comic book from being a small-scale project into a large brand that more readers will care about and enjoy just as much as I enjoy creating it? Chris, I think there's a couple things. One, first of all, you have to understand the market is the market. And so for me, two things that I would do. One, if it's good, I'm blown away by how many people get mad at doing free work. All these creators get mad at free, it's so laughable. I always do shit for free and will continue to do things for free because it creates leverage and context. So what I would do, Chris, if you can afford it, and if you couldn't afford it, have a side hustle that lets you afford giving away 3,000, 1,000, 2,000 of the comics. Go to a comic con, go to, uh, use online mm. hashtags of people that are interested, just give it away. The attention's worth more than anything else. It's, and I always say, watch what I do, not what I say. There's a reason I don't sell products. There's a reason I don't have masterminds or eBooks or things of that nature. I give away all my content for free because your attention's more valuable than extracting money from you. So I would give away the comic book at scale. Mm. Very good, next question, last question, number six, comes from Pam. She says, what's the number one piece of crap thinking or behavior that gets up your nose? She wants to know what this room needs to hear to start doing better in business and life. Man, I like you, Pam. Um, <laughs> Pam, there's a lot, I mean, look, there's, there's so much, I mean, look, the thing that really drives me crazy and I just spoke to is entitlement. Like, anybody here that thinks anybody owes them anything is already in deep shit. Like, it just, like, entitlement's stunning. Number two, the thing, lack of patience. It's why I push it so hard. Like. You wanna make a million dollars a year and you think that's supposed to happen in the first two, three, four, five, seven years of you doing something? It's laughable. People have gotten so crazy about the one or two things like Uber and Instagram without realizing that that's point, like you're more likely to win the lotto than start a company that looks like that. You're more likely to get struck by lightning seven times than starting anything that looks like Uber or Instagram. So just people's perspective is completely fucked. Like, I, I, I don't understand what people are doing out here. They, I, I don't, like, go, you know, I don't know what it is in Australia, I didn't look this up, but like, the medium income levels compared to what people are aspiring to. In America, if you make $440,000 a year, you're in the 1% earners in one of the richest countries in the world. If you make $440,000 a year in America, you're in the 1%. That's the bottom of the 1%, but you're in the 1%. Yet, everybody's walking around, like if they don't make a million bucks, they, aren't, they haven't even started doing anything. And so, perspective, entitlement, complete lack of patience, like, it's, this stuff is hard and takes a lot of work. And just kind of like, the, like clearly what gets in, in my nose, which I like the way you put it, is <laughs> the, when we transitioned to this Q&A and I had a rant for two more minutes, I, I can't wrap my head around how many people have consumed the same shit for me 67 times in written form, in audio form, in video form, in an 88-page deck form, in LinkedIn form. Like I, give, like, I spend millions of dollars saying the same fucking shit 
in 400,000 ways hoping today's gonna be the fucking day. That fucking pisses me off, Pam. <laughs> that, was the la- that was the last question, so any last words? You flew 36 hours, you're here. Any last words it's you want to give It's a big sign. Them? Can I ask <laughs> yeah. a question? Yes, that's just, I have to reward that ridiculous sign. Go ahead. <laughs> I'll repeat it. Amir, come up here. Let's cop it up for Give Amir. Give him a hand. Yo, Amir's, Amir's buddy, hold up the sign that you guys made. I mean, stand up and hold it up. It's such a piece of shit, <laughs> but it worked. This is, come on, come up here, Amir. Like, bring your fucking sign. This is perfect. This is attention arbitrage. I mean, how much did this piece of shit cost? Like a dollar? Look at this. But it worked. Good job. What's your question? Do you have a mic for him? Or you could speak it to my mic. Here, I'll give him mine. Here we go. I'm currently 15 years old. 15? Yeah. Okay. I skipped a day of school for this. That's a great decision. Yeah. Talking to that so they can hear it. My question is, is there any chance you could be my mentor? So, Jesus. Uh, Definitely not. Mainly on the back of like, I don't even know how people, like I don't even talk to D-Rock. I barely talk to my mom and my brother. I don't want to stand up here in front of, like I don't care how much they awe and hum, I have no interest in bullshitting you. I think, I think mentorship's an interesting thing. Here's what I would say for you. One, especially with me, nobody is spending more time and energy and resources trying to show people what to do. It's literally like, I'm putting it out every day. So like mentorship, super easy. Number two, what I will do is I'm more than happy to give you a summer internship on my team. So if you can figure out how to get to America, I'm sure you will, you made a fucking sign. And so- Wouldn't use that that, as a boat. You can just just get on that. um, Happy to do that for you. You're welcome, brother. You'll send me an email. It's yeah, Gar- yeah. Gary at VaynerMedia. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Good job. Thank Take you. care. Come on. Take a photo. Fo- D-Rock needs still shots these days. I can sign it. Hold this up. D-Rock's been fucking bugging me. Awesome. You got a pen? There you go. Markers, nice. Now, here's the most important part of this. You have to sell this on eBay. <laughs> Melbourne, I love you. Give him a hand. Gary V! <laughs>